marketing perspective, you know, we're really all just part of sales. And so at the end of the day, um, it has to be able to equate to revenue or, you know, you have to face it that the campaign was a failure. Welcome to the CMO Stories podcast brought to you by Fortella. This podcast series features marketing executives explaining how they're upending the fundamental approach to marketing to get above leads and tactics and instead focus on revenue goals. And now on with our show. Growing up as a child, I loved the story of David and Goliath. There's something beautifully romantic about the David, the underdog, defeating the giant Goliath with a single slingshot. My name is Rahul Sashdev. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Fortella. To me, guerrilla marketing is very much like the David and Goliath story, a startup winning against an incumbent with an unconventional strategy. The term guerrilla marketing was coined by J. Conrad Levinson in his 1984 book, As a psychology student, Jay understood how human beings operate. Jay was an ad man. He developed famous ad campaigns such as the Marlboro Man, the Pillsbury Doughboy, and United Airlines Friendly Skies. But those campaigns were for big companies with big budgets. How can a smaller company leverage guerrilla marketing in its portfolio of Arsenal to win the battles of mind? For that, I turn to our own David, David Applebaum. David is an accomplished CMO who has used the clever art of guerrilla marketing against big incumbents more than a few times. So without further ado, let's talk to David. Hello, David. Hello, Rahul. Can you tell our audience a little about your background? Absolutely. So I started uh, actually on the civilian side Uh, as an IT guy way back in the dark ages of the 80s, um, went to work for a little company called Borland. It was over in Scotts Valley. Um, From there, I went to Oracle, where I was working for one Mark Benioff for about five years or so, and consider that, you know, sort of my college and finishing school, so to speak, Uh, and then went on to a series of companies and startups. And that's predominantly where I've been ever since. Great, great. So the topic du jour is guerrilla marketing. And as you know, or may not know, J. Conrad Levinson is often known as the father of guerrilla marketing. And he defined guerrilla marketing as unconventional marketing tools used in cases when financial or other resources are limited or non-existent. Sounds a mouthful, not very marketing. <laughs> so how would you define guerrilla marketing for our audience? I, I would say definitely something similar along those lines. I think also the embrace of tactics and techniques um, that are really designed for maximum impact with a minimum of budget, uh, minimum of um, personnel, you know, really, if, if you look back to, you know, what a gorilla is, it's typically, you know, an underarmed and um, lowly peasant out in the highlands looking to take on a, a massive army of 
trained soldiers. And so in a marketing sense, it's pretty much the same. You're taking on a very well-entrenched competitor um, using a variety of non-conventional means at your disposal. Right, right. When people think of guerrilla marketing, they think of consumer companies, B2C campaigns. How would uh, this tactic translate into a B2B marketing context? You know, I'm, I'm one of the marketers that generally doesn't believe in the B2B versus B2C um, separation when it comes to marketing. Um, to my mind, everybody is a consumer. And whether you're buying a product for your business or you're buying a product for your personal use, um, you're motivated and inspired by the same techniques, the same things um, that you would if you were buying something strictly for yourself. And so utilizing consumer techniques to sell business products, um, I think, is probably one of the most effective ways um, of actually making that kind of message, largely because it's unexpected. It's a way of getting your prospect's attention um, and again, using unconventional or non-typical means of communication uh, as a way of reaching uh, a business person, uh, you're likely to get a much bigger response and much bigger effect um, than if you went using typically business-oriented speech or aesthetic techniques, things like that. So from my mind, I tend to use consumer-oriented marketing techniques um, regardless of what I'm selling. Interesting. Um, so a potential benefit of guerrilla marketing is that you can make a huge splash at a relatively low cost. And you've done a few guerrilla marketing campaigns of, you know, throughout your career. Definitely. Can you talk about some of the guerrilla marketing campaigns that you have done that you're it's most good. proud of? Certainly. You know, I, I think we do tend to get a little hung up on, on the cost aspect because you know, many guerrilla campaigns are actually quite expensive. Um, it depends on what you want to do and, and how you're going about doing it. Um, so whereas you could do some things that are, are very cost effective, um, at times they're not necessarily cheap. So you just need to be aware of that going in. Um, one of the first campaigns that I ran along those lines that was definitely a, a guerrilla campaign uh, was at Comdex in 2009, 2010. It was 2010. I was working for a company called Big Fix, and it was um, RSA. It wasn't Comdex. It was uh, RSA in San Francisco. And as you know, RSA is a very big security conference. Pretty much everybody in the U.S. and Europe and Asia comes to San Francisco to hear the latest in security. It's very crowded, and getting to and from Moscone is very difficult. Um, a lot of foot traffic. It's very hard to get a taxi. All of the hotels in the area are filled and just getting there can be um, quite an adventure. So what we did was I um, reserved the parking spaces in front of Moscone um, right after Comdex 2000, excuse me, RSA 2009 ended. Um, so that way we'd have them for 2010 and ordered a bunch of buses, about four buses that I had wrapped and painted with Big Fix company logos and Big Fix um, paraphernalia inside. We created demo videos that we would run continuously uh, in the buses themselves. 
we featured breakfast in the morning. So a little bagged breakfast of like a bagel, uh, iced coffee in a, in a can and a piece of fruit and then beer and soda and snacks in the afternoon coming back. And we invited pretty much our entire marketing database of security professionals to register for the shuttle. And we were calling it the shuttle. We ran four routes all going through different areas of the different hotels in San Francisco. And we would pick people up at the hotels, take them down to Moscone in the morning. And then anytime during the day, they can show us their pass and then take the bus back to the hotel. So they weren't limited just to the shuttle times. And because we had the parking spaces right across from Mos Moscone, um, we had full access to the venue at all times, um, much to the consternation of the producers of RSA. Um, everybody who registered had branded merchandise. They had their pass. They had a welcome kit. They had a big badge, you know, that said, you know, the big fix shuttle bus. So people would ask them, hey, where'd you get that? And they could sign up and register at our booth. Um, so it was really um, a phenomenal program. We ended up spending a third of what it would have cost um, if we had a full booth presence uh, at the show itself. And in the end, we ended up getting about 3,000 leads that actually came from the show, uh, of which I would say probably 40% of them were reasonable and converted. And so when we actually look at the outlay of what we spent versus the results, um, the downside was, you know, we pissed off the guys at RSA, um, but in terms of actual business done, it turned the show into a very successful venue for us. And it was unexpected. You know, people were not necessarily, they needed transportation. We were there to solve the transportation problem and we had them in our power, so to speak, for two times a day for 30 minutes each time, you know, so an hour a day where they were hearing our message, getting our swag, um, talking to people affiliated with the company. We had demos going. So we were really able to own that segment of the audience um, for that time period. Um, and so for us, it was great. And we followed through on this um, two more times over the subsequent years, again, much to the consternation of RSA, and um, was successful all three times. But the first was still the best. <laughs> Love that story. Uh, Mindshare through rideshare. Mm -hmm. uh, exactly. <laughs> so the, the surprised aspect of guerrilla marketing is what makes it so effective. But there is also a cleverness or creativity that's required to make it work and stand out. And that puts a lot of pressure on CMOs to push the limits. How do you know when a campaign is good enough? Do you use your gut feel? Do you use data to guide you? How do you make that decision? Sure. So it's definitely a combination. Um, one of the campaigns I've run in the past, actually, that was covered by the New York Times and actually won an award with Adweek was um, Ray Hopewood for president. Um, Ray Hopewood was a character that I developed um, along with the creative agency. I was working with Rasik um, and Associates. And he was essentially a figure we modeled after Larry Ellison. 
and, you know, was running him for president. And it was right around the time, I guess it was the two, would have been, you know, the 2000, was it uh, 2008 election? And it was, um, it was a huge thing. He was just, you know, this incredible figure. He was very flamboyant, a really heinous person. He was sort of pre-Trumpian kind of uh, individual. And we knew from the creative that it was going to be great. You know, it was funny. We had a great actor portraying it. And, you know, the, the key to all of this was, um, you know, Big Fix as a software provider was always telling the truth and would always be honest and would be providing you security you could trust. And, you know, guys like Hopewood were there to rip you off and only cared about, you know, making their own way in the world and making billions. And so um, we knew creatively it was really going to work. But what really gave us the insight, we started to see our web numbers begin to climb very aggressively. And we knew that a lot of that was likely coming from the ads itself. But then what started happening is we started getting emails addressed to Ray Hopewood. <laughs> People thought he was a real person. And that's when we kind of knew that we hit it big with this campaign. Um, we had people coming in from Europe who were saying, you know, if you can protect me from this guy, then I definitely need to talk to you. Um, now, everything is digitized and it's incredibly easy to track. And so when I'm running campaigns now, I like to do a mix of both where, you know, you have to feel it and it has to feel right that it's going to be a good piece that... You know, from an aesthetic standpoint, it sort of touches all of the key points. Um, but now you can track virtually anything um, that's digital. So you know where leads are coming from. You know what set them off. You know how long they've been on your pages, et cetera. So, you know, doing it by the numbers now is really just as important because that's ultimately how you'll maximize the overall spend that you're going to do. You want to invest in those vehicles that are most profitable for you in terms of displaying your content and generating the right kinds of traffic back to your call to action. So you absolutely need to do both. And, and you talked, you touched on a lot of uh, questions that I was going to ask you regarding measurement, but ultimately it, it, it does come down to revenue, doesn't it? Like how much absolutely. pipeline or bookings you generate. So is there something that you go back and measure that and compare that to other campaigns? Absolutely. Yeah. Every campaign, you know, from, from a marketing perspective, you know, we're really all just part of sales. And so at the end of the day, um, it has to be able to equate to revenue um, or, you know, you have to face it that the campaign was a failure. Um, I think as good as any marketing may be, if it doesn't ultimately result in a full pipe and revenue coming in, then, you know, it's clever. It was a good exercise, um, but ultimately ineffective. Uh, with the unconventional approach comes risk. And as a leader, you have to evaluate the risk versus the reward aspect for, for that guerrilla marketing campaign. Uh, talk to us a little bit about at what point maybe an idea, uh, you know, may cross the line as being too risky <laughs> Or maybe perhaps an idea that you've had in the past where you said, you know, that's too risky. I don't want to do that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, we, you know, when you when you really start to dive into this, um, it's fun, you know, and you start to spitball different ideas. Um, you can really go very, very far. 
Um, and it's very easy to cross the line very quickly. And especially now where, you know, the rules are much stronger, especially around what brands can and can't say, what they can and can't represent, um, that you do have to be very careful in terms of, you know, what you're willing to say and how deep you're willing to go. Um, but I, I think what's ultimately important, and it's really what separates a good guerrilla campaign from a bad guerrilla campaign, is that it has to be authentically reflect the values and the personality of your company. You know, you can't do these campaigns if, you know, you represent a very, you know, straight, buttoned down, very tight professional kind of brand, you know, in, unless you're willing to kind of make fun of that in a more subtle way. Um, otherwise, it just doesn't work. It doesn't ring true to the people who you're intending to communicate with. It seems phony. It seems that you're doing something just to, you know, oh, I'm going to be controversial or, oh, I want to create, you know, some buzz in the market. Um, and it doesn't really generate the kinds of responses that you want it to. Um, if you're true to your company, to your brand, to who you are as an organization, you're going to be a lot, you're going to be much better guided in terms of where the line is, right? You're not going to go too far because it's going to um, really uh, contradict the values that you've developed as a company. And so I think always having um, an eye towards authenticity, you know, who are you as, as an organization is absolutely key for carrying these off. So, you know, another example was early um, Salesforce ads, you know, they were, they were always good with Mark, you know, and they were able to carry a lot of that off, particularly when they were attacking Siebel, um, because it was truly who the company was and what the company was about, you know, very pugnacious, you know, upstart coming out to take on the big guys, you know, David versus Goliath. Um, and it was truly a part of, you know, Mark's personality and the personality he was developing for Salesforce. In a lot of ways, Mark would never run those ads now because the whole brand image is so dramatically different from where they were. You know, now they're the incumbent. They're a very friendly brand. It's a very, it's almost, you know, dare I say, like a family type brand in the ways that they've now developed um, their creatures and, you know, the different characters that they have. Um, it's almost Disney, you know, in the way that they've tried to move it in. And so they would never do those kinds of outrageous and pugnacious kinds of programs before. And so to a certain extent, you know, sorry, Mark, it's, it's a little boring, um, but it works for them and where they are now. Um, it'll be interesting when somebody comes in to challenge them uh, and the kind of tact that they take. And if, you know, they take a page out of the book early on. So it uh, will definitely be interesting to watch that space. Yeah, I, I, I remember that uh, Siebel versus uh, <laughs> Salesforce campaign at first hand uh, going to our customer conference in San Diego yeah. in early 2000s. And with the, with the customers being driven on buses to the conference hall mm -hmm. when these Salesforce uh, hired people standing outside with no software plug cards, right. it was, uh, it was, it was uh, in hindsight quite funny.
but not, not, not on that day. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so uh, look, uh, you know, there's there are a lot of examples of good guerrilla marketing campaigns. I think about the Pepsi versus Coke one, for example. Uh-huh. But what are some of your favorites? What are the ones you really like? You know, I liked... Um... You know, there was a lot of them. I liked um, the Tesla one, particularly with, um, you know, the SpaceX with Tesla putting um, Elon's car in space. I always thought that was actually very funny. Um, you know, another one along the lines of, of Coke and Pepsi, you know, was when they launched New Coke. And the initial um, launch was incredibly well done. They had some very funny ads in terms of what they were doing with the old recipe. But then of course, you know, you run into the danger where the product itself um, was not, uh, did not live up to expectation. Uh, And so all of that money that they put into the clever ads kind of went down the drain on that one. Um, Another one that I think too, in a similar line was Google Glass. They had some very clever bits when they were first launching it. Um, but again, it was something where it never quite lived up to uh, expectation uh, as far as the product goes. But again, very clever when they started. Yeah, and mine is uh, the Domino's pizza one. The <laughs> one where filling streets, potholes, were, uh, so the pizza doesn't get uh, damaged and, that uh, during delivery. I, I love yeah. that one. All right, well, one last question, Dave. Um, how, what advice would you have for our audience who may be thinking about doing a guerrilla marketing campaign but haven't done it before? I think um, definitely first and foremost, map out your budget. You know what is the most that you can afford to spend, and really keep an eye on it because again, things like this can you know eat your budget very quickly if you're not careful. Number two, understand who you want to reach. And what is it about that individual that is interesting, unique, different? Um, What would appeal to them as people? And I think that that's really what's incredibly important. It's not what they think about from a business standpoint. It's not necessarily what would be of interest to them in their professional role, but it's much more personal. What is it that's going to turn them on as an as a human being, right? So if in your target's general demographic, there's a high percentage of musicians, you may wanna do something that has a music theme. If there's a high percentage of individuals who follow politics or are turned on by like the minutia of politics, then that would be an area you'd wanna explore. Sports, similar thing. It's, it's an aspect of it that you really wanna to, um, attract um, based upon what they're most interested in. Then, you know, when you start brainstorming, think in terms of what is different, weird, unique, off the wall about the subject, you know? So for sports, is it bizarre statistics that you can begin to calculate, you know, ad infinitum about, you know, what the average batting average is for somebody on Thursdays being pitched against by right-handers with yellow jerseys with the sun at a 42 degree angle. I mean, you could just start to spin uh, on different ideas around that and just keep it rolling. Don't be afraid to dis, you know, don't dismiss anything. Just keep digging into the ideas and what will happen is you'll, you'll start to hit on a scenario 
And then you just want to develop, develop it out. What's the backstory? What is it that you're trying to communicate? How can you best communicate utilizing this method and this storyline? Is there a character? What would the character be like? And then begin to build it from there. Um, and then it becomes much easier. But I think during that phase, you know, don't throw any ideas out. You know, every idea is a good idea. And I think it's just one of those where, you know, get a bunch of people that, you know, you enjoy creating these kinds of things with, get some beers, get some wine, sit down, you know, give yourself a couple of hours in a very relaxed setting and just go crazy. I think it's it's a lot of fun. And more importantly, you can come up with some great ideas that way. Well, David Applebaum, I want to thank you. Uh, for your time today and lifting a little bit of that mystery from this uh, art of guerrilla marketing for our audience today. Thank you for your time. You can follow David on the usual social channels. Thank you, David. Thank you, Rahul. If you like this episode of the CMO Stories podcast, please subscribe and give us a like or comment wherever you listen. And if you want to reinvent your approach to marketing and turn marketing into a revenue driver instead of a cost center, visit our website at fortella.ai. Thanks for listening.